The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, sorry, 4, verses 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, uh, Imad, for reading God's precious word to us this morning. And uh, this is the word of God. I pray that it will encourage our hearts, uh, that it will speak to our hearts this morning. So let's come in in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it's living, it's dynamic, it's active. And, oh, heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your spirit, your spirit alone, will do his work freely in our hearts, Lord. I ask that you forgive me for my sins, that you would use me, Lord, for your glory, to share this word with your people, so that together we will grow in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we may have heard the saying, I'm sure you have, disunity is death. You heard that? Disunity is death. Uh, Perhaps you heard that from politicians, particularly if there are problems in their political parties, or perhaps in the workplace or somewhere else. Disunity is death. Disunity in any place, be it at work, in the home, in a marriage, or in a church, can always be a challenging time. Disunity causes relationship breakdowns. People who were once friends suddenly become enemies. People who were once in the same family don't talk to each other. Siblings from the same family have sibling rivalry. And you wouldn't imagine that, would you? I don't have brothers and sisters, um, so I don't know what it means to have sibling rivalry. I was the only guy who, who was in my home. I had two dogs. My parents, and that was it. If I had any arguments, it was just basically with the dogs. But uh, I had no one else to argue in the home. (laughs) That was it for me. But I've seen others in other families, and I've dealt with situations where even within families, brothers and sisters don't talk to each other. Have you come across that situation? I have. I was once doing a funeral service, and halfway through the service, when the eulogy was started by someone in the family, the left side of the congregation got up and walked out. <laughs> Funny situation to be when you're doing a funeral service, you're up there and say, after the congregation is going up, out. They didn't come in until the end. After the service, I asked them, what was the problem? Uh, because so and so spoke at the eulogy, we walked out because we don't get on well with that person. Oh, wow. I was at another funeral. This happened. I was seated at the front of the church, and there was the body was there, the, 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 the mother had died. This person had a separation from her husband, the, the daughter. 
And right in the middle of the service, there's a battle going on between the, the, the daughter of the deceased person and the ex-husband. And we are seated there wondering what's going on. This, this was happening in the church. So, relationship breakdowns are terrible. They cause problems. And sadly, we live in a fallen world. And so, we live with relationship issues. Can happen in the workplace, isn't it? It's a terrible thing to be in the workplace when you have relationship breakdowns, where you can't communicate with your colleagues. When people have different ideas and agendas. And it affects the workplace environment, does it not? It, it, it kind of affects it. I, I used to pack books when I was a student. And uh, I had this, my boss, he was a fantastic uh, boss. And he would come in the morning and he would sing. He would sing this weird song, We Have No Bananas Today. I don't know why he sang that, but he always used to sing. And whenever he saw me, how are you, Chris? He was a cheerful guy. He sings along. And when I was packing those, 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 um, those books, I would stand there near the machine, the stapler machine, and bang, bang, book after book, packed in the bag and sent it out. But this guy was a great boss. You felt you want to work for him because he was a cheerful guy. And if there was anything, I could go and talk to him, and he was always there to help you out. Not a bad boss to have around, wouldn't you? Some guy who really cares. It changed the work environment. But if the work environment is tense, and there's pressure there, I tell you what, you want to just walk out, wouldn't you? Think, blow this, I'm going out from this place. And it has happened. People in this church have told me that, and they walked out of their workplace. Because there's pressure. So if you're a boss, be mindful of your staff. <laughs> and if you're not a boss, be mindful of your boss. Because he's got pressure as well. And he's got to work hard as well. So Paul, in our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6, Paul addresses a very important topic in the church. He addresses a very, very important topic. It's a topic of unity. And so in our study this morning, we are in this passage today. In Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul speaks about the unity of the church. He speaks about striving for unity. Paul has so far spoken about the mystery that was revealed to him. Namely, that the Gentiles that are non-Jews are now part of God's plan of salvation. The church is now open in Christ to people of all nations, tribes and languages. In Christ, Jews and Gentiles are one humanity. And so also here in the church and the church universal, God's people are one family in Christ. We have seen Paul's prayer for the church in chapter 3. A prayer for inner strength. A prayer for love. A prayer for the fullness of God. And a prayer that concluded with an amazing doxology of praise to God. Uh, an amazing doxology that, that said this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or, or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory. God is able. Remember that? Last week's sermon, I don't expect you to remember everything. But God is able. Do you believe that? <laughs> God is able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Because our God is an amazing God. He's the most powerful God. There is nothing too hard for our God. 
There is nothing too small, too big for our God to answer. He's able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And as we move on chapter 4, the focus now shifts to the practical application of what we have seen in chapters 1 to 3. It is a shift where the message moves from theology to practical living. Because I tell you, friends, you can have all the theology there, but if it's not touching the heart and not seen in practice, what's the use of all the head knowledge, right? You might be able to recite every Bible passage. No problems. Memory text, you'll know all the memory texts like that. But if this is not connecting here, there's something wrong. There's a disconnection between here and the heart. Theology must go with practice, correct? Otherwise you can be the most reformed theologian living the most unpractical godly life. What's the use of that? It has to be balanced. It has to be a balanced life. Theology and practice goes together. So what we see here is, is that, that there is a shift where the message moves from theology to practice. See, God has united people from every language, tribe and nation to the gospel. And now the unity of God's people, the church, becomes a central part of this plan. And now here is the question. Here's a question to you and to me. To us all. The question is this. Why would Paul speak about the need for unity in the church? Why would Paul speak for the need for unity in the church? Why would he do that? Surely, surely you would say to me this morning, one would think that Christians should be able to get along with each other, shouldn't they? <laughs> yes, but they can't always. And they don't always. Surely one would think that Christians should be able to get along with each other. Shouldn't they? But Christians don't always get along with each other, friends. Even in churches, there are those who may not get along with one another. They might sit on one side of the church and the other person sits on the other side. Of them. They have the same table together and they move from different doors. It's happened. Why would, people, why would Paul speak about the need for unity? Sadly, this is not the case. Because Christians don't always get along with each other. Even in churches, that's a real problem. Sadly, conflicts and divisions do take place in churches. Some churches, for example, have reconciliation committees. In fact, the General Assembly of Victoria has a reconciliation committee. And that is that the committee is there to deal with matters of disharmony before they become official business in the church, so that they deal with issues there before it becomes a mountain out of a molehill, and try and nip it in the bud. And that's wonderful, before anything es escalates. So churches do have unity problems. The Corinthian church was a divided church. They were following different leaders, which led to quarrels in the church. They were saying, ah, so-and-so is a great leader, so-and-so is a better leader, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, this is my leader, look at me, look at, look at this leader, and there were divisions in the church. So this is why Paul wrote, he appealed to the Corinthian church, uh, to the Corinthian church for unity. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that be you, you be united in the same mind and same judgment. 
Because why? There is quarreling around in the place. People are fighting with each other. Would you want to be part of a church like that? I don't think so. See, there are always situations that become that can become difficult. You see, there is no perfect church on earth. I was speaking uh, to, I was discussing this matter with uh, one of my elders, um, a man who's been here for many years, and said to me, Chris, uh, you know, I've, there's no perfect church on earth, but I'm sure thankful to God that I found a good church. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what an encouragement that is. So if you find a perfect church, please, I'm always here, send me a text, tell me where the place is. I'd love to be there, if you find one. But I think the problem will be, the moment I join it, I become imperfect. Because I'm a redeemed sinner, and I take my sin with me, right? There's one church that will be perfect. We sang the New Jerusalem, look for that day. But here on earth, that's why Paul writes about unity, because he knows that on earth, the sinful nature pops up. It's like, it's like a ball, you try to suppress it in the pool, what happens? You let it go, comes up, doesn't it? So our sinful nature pops up from time to time. And so it happens. See, so in our passage this morning, Paul speaks about this important topic of unity. Paul makes an appeal for unity by beginning with a general exhortation to live a life worthy of their calling. Look at your text. I trust you have a Bible so permit you to Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to look, work our way through this passage. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With this word, therefore, he connects that which he has already spoken, chapters 1 to 3. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. I touched on this last time about the prisoner for the Lord, so I won't go too much into it. But Paul was writing from the prison in Rome. He was under the authority of Nero. But here he writes, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He sees himself under the lordship of Jesus. And so he says, I urge you, I exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is urging them in the light of what he has already spoken of in chapters 1 to 3. And he's referring to their calling. What is this calling, friends? Look at chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every blessing. Chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him. Did you see that? Before the foundations of this world. We have all the joys and blessings of God's salvation given to us in Christ. He has called you from darkness to light. Has he not? He has brought you from a state of hopelessness to one of hope. From a state of being lost to one who has been found. From a place where there, you had no grace to being saved by grace. From a place where you had no faith, God gave you the gift of faith. That's your calling as a Christian. That's my calling as a Christian. No matter what happens, friends, in our lives, we must come back to that calling of God, God's amazing grace to you. Because the more you see your sin, and the more you see God's grace, what does that do to you, friends? It should change your heart. It's not just theology in the head. I always look for practical application of theology. Show it in your life by your fruit. 
we will see it. What type of fruit do we show in our lives? See, Paul is saying, come back to your calling. Saved by grace through faith. United in Christ with his resurrection. Members of God's household. Called by God. Rejoice in it. And he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Worthy. You see that word translated for worthy? As the idea of weight. We get the English word axiom from this word, which means to be of equal weight. Alright? So Paul is therefore saying that we should try to live lives equal to the blessings that we have received in Christ. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture. Do you see that? You have received all these blessings, so live your life equally as these blessings of God has come upon you. And walk in that way. That's what he's saying here. And then Paul refers to this calling which you have been called. God has called you. And live your life accordingly. And as we move on, friends, to chapter 4, verse 2, as we work our way through this text, we are, I want to look at the character qualities here that we see here. Look at verse, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort. What is it? To fight? Make every effort to cause trouble? Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Let's, let's unpack this. Here we see five characteristics or character qualities which can impact the way we live in our lives. I have people come here and ask me for whether they can put my name down for a reference. Some of you, I've, I've always said yes. And just even two weeks ago, <laughs> I had someone call me about a reference that I gave to a person. And I'm so pleased to know that that person got the job. <laughs> they owe me a, a good rice and curry, I think. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The point is this. They always ask me. It's incredible. The companies or the organizations, they call me. Inv- invariably, they track me down and they ask me, And some of the most important questions that they ask me is, how is the person's character? Can he or she work under authority? Can he or she work on a team? Why are you asking those questions? Because they want to know the character of the person. You see, five things that Paul says here. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. Five things, Paul says, important character qualities for unity in the church. And let's unpack this. When Paul conducted this ministry, the first one is humility. When Paul conducted this ministry among the Ephesians, he did not do so, he, he did so with humility. The greatest example of humility is Jesus, right? We read Philippians chapter 2 this morning as our commencement with the service. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even at the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. You see, to be humble is to recognize that that your life is a gift from God. To be humble is to say, God, I have nothing to be proud of. Or do you? Are you full of pride? 
when um, I think uh, Colonel Rambuka, I think from Fiji, when there was a coup, I, I was new to Australia then at the time, and he said, I did it my way. It's like that Frank Sinatra song. Pride comes in. What are we to be proud of, friends? What can we be proud of? It's nothing. Well, life is just like that. We heard yesterday from Brian. Fantastic present. I really enjoyed it. I came home and thought about my heart and what I should do. And so this morning I actually ran. <laughs> I ran with the dog. The poor dog, he felt, he must have felt terrible. What's happened to my master this morning? He ran. I put the dog back home and I thought, I'm going to run because I have to run. I heard from Brian, I have to run. So I ran this morning. I feel, I feel pumped up, you see. <laughs> the point is, what are you proud of? Nothing. Our life, the point I was trying to make is your life can be gone like this, right? You got, you're a cardiologist, you know, you're a patient, it can be gone like that. So can any one of us here this morning, you can drop dead like that. I can drop dead on this pulpit. I hope not, but who knows? The point is, what, what are we to be proud of? I have been at the deathbeds of people and they have not said to me, Oh, Chris, this is my achievements in my life. No, no, no. <laughs> they are worried about where they go. What's going to happen? My loved ones, my family. Well, nothing to be proud of. Take away pride, friend. It's a, it's a worse thing you know, to be proud. Be humble. By God's grace, I'm saying, I struggle with it because we, normally you could say, well, we're proud of what we achieved. We thank God for our achievements. Don't put it down. But don't be proud to the extent that you're saying, God, it's me. Paul says, be humble. Be humble in your dealings with one another. Be humble when you talk to each other. How do you talk to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? With arrogance? Watch it, how you speak to each other. The God exalts the humble. And the proud, he will bring them down. And when God brings you down, it's better than what anyone else can do so. I was speaking, I have a mentor, a spiritual mentor. Seven, in his 70s. And I, was, I always talked to him, I had coffee with him last week. And I discussed lots of things with him. And this good brother said to me, wonderful old man, said, Chris, remember. Remember God says, Vengeance is mine. You keep your heart clean before God and he will deal with situations. You see, the promise of being humble. God exalts the humble. Humility will see others better than ourselves. Then the next character trait is gentleness. Uh, Paul says here, so first one is humility, second one is gentleness. This word meekness is borrowed from a profession of taming animals, and in particular the taming of horses. A tamed or gentle horse is in every way as strong as a wild horse. In taming a horse, it helps to control the, its strength so that it can be put to good use and effective use. So also is gentleness. It turns negative energy to something that is constructive. Meekness was one of the marks of Jesus, was it not? Jesus described himself as meek and mild. Meek and lowly. Matthew 11. When one hears the word meekness, it can be immediately associated with weakness. Gentleness or meekness is not weakness. 
as was taught by the Greek or Roman world, to them, to be gentle was a sign of weakness. Gentleness or meekness is strength under control. Gentleness is having the power to build up and edify. Gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. One writer puts it this way. Gentleness is when you have the power to take revenge, but you choose to forgive and show love instead. Gentleness is having the power to heal than to destroy. How's that? (laughs) It is a willingness to waive one's rights for the consideration of others. One's character of gentleness or meekness will go a long way in striving for unity, be it in the workplace, in the home, or in, in the church family. The next character is patience. Do you lose your patience? <laughs> How long is your fuse? Short? Or is it long? <laughs> the meaning here in the Greek text here is long-suffering. The word is used to describe Patience with people. It is to be long-tempered. It describes someone who has a long fuse. And I did some reading about this. You see, in the Greek world, this was never considered to be a virtue. It was considered to be a sign of weakness. If you are patient, you are a sign of weakness. In fact, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher who actually tutored Alexander the Great, remember Alexander the Great, defined the great Greek virtue as a refusal to tolerate any insult or injury. According to him, one must be ready to strike back at any hurt. So if somebody hurts you, bang, you strike back. Because if you don't, you're a weakling. A weak, pathetic thing. Compare that to Jesus. When the soldier cut the ear off, when, 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 when Peter did that to the soldiers here, what did Jesus do? Restored that guy. Turn the other cheek. Is that right? Who said that? Who said that? Say, that's what this is about, isn't it? It's a virtue. You, you see, according to the Greek Greek thinking, you were to, to, to let you were never to let anyone get away with anything. I think I think we can at times identify with Aristotle, can't we? That heroism to us is to get back. But love does not retaliate, friends. It speaks the truth in love, but it does not retaliate. Listen to what Proverbs 15 has got to say about this. You see, a hot-tempered person, what does it do? Stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. How true is that, isn't it? What happens in a, in a marriage relationship is one is always hot-tempered. What happens there? Is it pleasant in the relationship? Things can be flying in the kitchen. <laughs> so laugh. I, I, I mean, you can laugh, about it, but it's a serious matter. I was called out once to a situation. Man, I say, what is going on here in this home? I'm waving and ducking because things are boom. It's going all over the place. I'm saying there, what is going on here? Let's, let's talk. Why? Because one is so hot-headed, it becomes a conflict. Take a domestic violence, a massive issue in our country. Could it be this? Hot-tempered? 
You should never aggravate the situation, friends. Don't put fuel to the fire. Real godliness is seen when we are put under pressure. You know, I, we, we have a dog. I've spoken about this dog. You've seen my dog. Lovely little fellow. I told you he had a good exercise this morning. I carry him. I carry him like a suitcase. I carry him on my shoulders. I put him upside down. I carry him on my head. I do all kinds of things with my dog. It's weird. He must think he's got the most weirdest master. But there's one thing that this dog, I can't do to him. When he's got a bone, he still has difficulty when I go close to his face. He gets all scrunchy and he gets all angry and he gets all aggravated. There's a dog and a bone. <laughs> Sometimes we can be like that, isn't it? A dog and a bone. We get so aggravated and so caught up. We can't see anything else but that bone. And we want to go for it. We want to do everything we can. And we just aggravate and, and stir up and, and destroy. Let it go. Let the dog enjoy his bone. But that, that dog, he doesn't realize that that bone that he has was given by grace. He didn't earn it. We bought it for him. <laughs> See, what about our lives? God has bought us by grace. Do we own anything? Just don't stir up trouble. Calm it down. Be a calming influence. Paul says, have this character of patience. Remember how God was patient with his people? Think about the story of Israel. The record of a patient love on the part of God for a rebellious, disobedient people. Exodus 34 verse 6. See, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The next one is forbearance as we keep moving on. Let's be gracious to one another. Forbearance is the next one. That is mutual tolerance. It is a willingness to tolerate and bear with each other. We can irritate each other, can't we? <laughs> it doesn't take much for me to irritate you. Wouldn't it? I would have irritated you many times. I don't know. If you don't tell me, I don't know. Uh, you can irritate me. We can irritate each other. It doesn't take much, does it? Tell me. It doesn't take much to irritate someone. <laughs> Not. It doesn't take much to turn good relationships to bad. It doesn't take much to say a word, bang, to destroy something. It doesn't take much to send a text to somebody that can destroy friendships. So, friends, be careful. Forbearance. And the other one, Paul says, is love. The final characteristic is love. You see, Paul says, love is coming out here. There are different words for love. I won't go into all of that. Filio, which is uh, brotherly love. Very quickly, eros is another type of love. But the word that is used is agape. It's a willingness of a love. A sacrificial love. That God has shown to us. And when we love one another the way Christ has loved us, what a change. So friends, love is this final character quality which in one sense undergirds the four. And then Paul says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. There is a sense of do it now. There is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of dealing with the matter soon. Don't let issues drag on. There is an urgency, Paul says. Even though we are Christians, we work in progress. We can lose it. We can become grumpy. We can become negative. When we become negative, we start to, to, to whinge and, and then hatred can set in. 
Look at what Proverbs says. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Hatred does stir up trouble. Next one. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. When conflicts arise, Paul says here, deal with it. There's a sense of urgency. Deal with them and eagerly deal with it in the spirit. Don't let bitterness grow in your life. Because bitterness can grow deep and deep and deep. And if bitterness is there, friends, you are the loser. Because there is bitterness all the time. Let that bitterness come out. Lord, heal me of this bitterness. Relieve me of this thing. Make me a pleasant person in your sight. You see, the church is here not to make people happy. Are we? You might go and join a happy club then. This is not the place to make people happy. The place, the church is here to make people godly. Not happy. But you'll be happy when you become godly in Christ. You see what I'm saying? That's what it is. Our prayer for you as leaders is that you and myself will be godly Christians. Because from godliness will come also happiness. So let not the root of bitterness come in. In the unity of the spirit, be a peacemaker, friends. And as we move on, finally, to our third aspect here, the basis of our unity. Paul says here, seven things. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's the basis of our unity. Our unity is based on the Trinity. Notice that three of them are connected with the Trinity. One spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of us all. One body is the church. One hope, one faith, one baptism. There is one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God. You see, what we have here, friends, is the Trinity. We have one God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We don't have three gods. They're all equal. But in the Trinity is a beautiful working together of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And Paul is saying the basis of our unity comes from the Trinity. Father, Son and Spirit. One church, one faith, one baptism, one hope. Our unity is rooted in the Trinity. It's the essence of our faith. Now some churches do things differently, don't they? In, the, in one spiritual family, we, we speak different languages. Some baptize with sprinkling. Others baptize by immersion. Right? Uh, some have different styles of worship. Full music. Others have traditional worship styles. Others have formal liturgies. Some serve wine for communion. Others serve grape juice. But these are matters of form and not substance. What is essential is the substance. What is most important is a spiritual family that is honoring God, that is believing His Word, that is trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are the fundamentals. Nothing else is. They are the fundamentals of our faith. The most crucial aspects of our faith. We believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We believe in the way of salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We accept the scriptures as the holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. They are the fundamentals, are they not? 
That's what binds us. See, friends, things can divide us. But what we are called to do is to strive for unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So as we sum, uh, give a quick summary. We have seen this morning the charge to walk worthy of our calling. Five character qualities. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. We have also seen that the church has its basis of unity in the Trinity. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one body. As I conclude, this unity takes away the oxygen for the gospel to thrive in a church. Right? Because Satan will keep us busy when there's infighting. Right? There are enough of people outside to criticize the church and to bring the church down. But if you're a Christian, you ask yourself, what's your responsibility to build God's church? What am I doing to create unity in the body of Christ? What is my role in this place? What is my role as a husband, as a father in my home? What is my role as a, as a parent in my home? How central is the gospel to our relationships with other believers in the church, friends? What would it look like? To practice humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. It will be one of a loving and gracious church family. For we can then say with the psalmist, as he said, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in, what is it? In unity. How good and pleasant it is. Because the opposite is unpleasantness. The opposite is hatred. The opposite is wickedness. The opposite is sowing the soil for Satan to get a foothold. And sometimes you have to give up your rights. It doesn't matter. I don't care about my rights. I don't really care about it. Because I care for God's people and God's church. That's more important to me. It's about the gospel of Christ. So friends... How can we keep this going? As one body in Christ, as we strive for unity, let us pray for each other. Have a time of self-examination. My life, yours as well, before the Lord. Repent if there is anything not right in our lives or our relationship with others. There's a grievance with someone. You do the Matthew 18 principle. Go and see the person personally and talk to that person. Deal with it in a godly and gracious way. Learn to forgive. And God will bless you with that. He will bless you. If I have wronged you, I'll ask you for my forgiveness. Let me know. If you don't tell me, I don't know. (laughs) We're always here. If there's a grievance, deal with it. Let us ask God to make us more like Jesus. What a blessing that will be. So that the church can be a witness of his love within and outside as Jesus prayed. Let them be one. May God bless us to live lives like that, that honors him, builds relationships, forgives one another, and have those qualities for his praise and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray this morning as we look, looked at this important subject of striving for unity, that you bless this church, Lord. You are the Lord of this church. 
There is nothing too hard, difficult for you to do in this place. It belongs to you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus. There be nothing, no one or anything that will, that will stop the progress of the gospel of Christ in this place, Lord. We pray in the power of Jesus that you take this church from strength to strength as you have done through every challenge in this place. For we put our faith, we put our trust, we put our confidence in you, the living God, upon the foundations of Christ himself who is building his church. And may nothing hinder that work. Please have mercy on us all. In Jesus' name, Amen. Friends,